stock markets can cycle seven to 12 years and crash. At the end of the day, people are still going to buy food. So if you get the right crop, coconut, limes, avocados, there's always demand 12 months a year by us North American consumers in those retail supermarkets. Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larvey. Hey, everybody. Welcome. It's Sarah Larby, and you are listening to Where Should I Invest? And I have a special co-host today who is the one and only lifesaver, and she organizes tons of stuff for me and is also a real estate investor, my executive assistant, business partner, Aisha Govani. Welcome. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you for having me. So we just finished our first podcast together and you did amazing. So I want to congratulate you and thank you. And it's always fun to, to invite people to be a guest host and a co-host because there's questions I might not be thinking of. And you asked a lot of great questions during the show. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. Awesome. So, so you are a real estate investor. Can you just share a little bit your story and, and maybe just what your portfolio has like in terms of multis or singles or all that good stuff? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I used to be in, in a few aspects of real estate, and then I decided that real estate investing is where I really wanted to put forth my energy. We have a fourplex in Cambridge. We have 10-unit student house at McMaster. We self-manage those, so they keep us really busy. We're looking to expand in the Quartas, maybe pick up a few short-term cottage rentals. We're always looking for big projects, burrs, flips, really whatever is able to give us the longevity of the, of the property, getting better okay this is terrible You're, they're gonna edit this or yeah okay so so we're always looking for opportunities to increase our portfolio and finding what's going to work best for our future amazing that sounds awesome i i got super lucky because i i ended up posting on instagram that i was looking for an executive assistant and you decided to work with this crazy lady myself <laughs> and and thank you for putting up with me and and organizing so many aspects of it and it was it's really cool to have you as a, as a co-host as well to to interview the guests yeah thank you so much you were actually my my introduction to real estate at a level that i could understand when you talked about investing i listened to your guests for nearly two years on a really regular basis every time i sat in my car your podcast would turn on so seeing that you had an opportunity to join your team and seeing all the wonderful things you were doing, helping people really realize their space in the in real estate investing industry and getting tips on how to do it and how to do it right. You were teaching your mistakes. You were connecting your students with the right professionals. That's really hard to come by. Like, as I know you now, I can tell people it took you years and years of grinding where you had to do it all yourself. And you've sort of put things on a platter for a lot of people. So I know a lot of people's lives have changed. So I'm glad to be part of that. Very cool. And if you don't mind me asking, what is like, if you look back at maybe in the last six months, like what is the number one insight that you can share that maybe you've learned about real estate along the way with, uh, with the listeners? Just do it. Don't sit on your hands. Don't get into analysis paralysis. Don't try to figure out what will happen if you do it or what will happen if you don't. If you have a goal and there is something you want to do, get the right information, get the right tools, get connected to the right professionals who are experts in that section of whatever you need to do, get connected with the right lawyer, the right mortgage broker, the right coach, and just bite the bullet. 
wake up that next day and take that first step, whatever it is, and don't worry about what's going to happen next. Just one step at a time. Very cool. That is awesome. So today is, we have an interview together with Peter Badger, who we talk to about a very interesting topic that we haven't talked about very, very much in the past. But what I will tell you without telling, giving it away and telling you what it is, it is important to be diversified. It is important to have different asset allocations and different different types of investments and different countries and also just different, not everything in Canadian dollars per se, because we don't know what the future holds. And if one thing goes down, we don't want everything that we have to go down with it necessarily. And so we always want to plan for the best, take action and mitigate your downside along the way. So before we go into the show, Dahlia from Streetwise Mortgages will share her tip of the week. Dahlia, over to you. Hi, I'm Dahlia, founder of Streetwise Mortgages, and in today's episode, I would like to share with you some of the challenges and, in some cases, pain some clients are experiencing right now due to the fast pace of rate increases, tougher mortgage qualifications, and softening valuations. Most importantly, I would like to share with you solutions. Here are some of the things myself and my team are currently observing. Today, we will talk about the erosion of cash flow on properties with adjustable rate mortgages, especially on properties where cash flow was thin to start with. I am not going to say, hey, let's get over the rate increases. We are still in a low rate environment. And I am not going to say that real estate goes through cycles. Inflation is high and we should all have predicted increases at this pace. What I will say is that these challenges are real. The pains are there for some clients. And Stephen Hawking says, intelligence is the ability to adapt to change. So let's talk about how we can adapt and what are some of the solutions that are available to you if you are experiencing cash flow pressures. Number one, restructuring your mortgage to reduce your monthly payment. You will say, Dahlia, how is it possible that I can get a lower monthly payment if the rates have gone up? Well, let me explain. It's not all about the rates. Let's say that you have an adjustable rate mortgage at 500,000 at prime minus 50 at a 30 year amortization. As it currently stands, your monthly payment would be at around $2,653. If you convert this mortgage to a home equity line of credit at prime plus half, which would be at 5.95 right now, the monthly payment would be $2,479. That is $179 less. If you take this route, you won't be paying down the principal on the mortgage every month, but you have the option to top up the payment if you want. And you can also convert this line of credit back to a mortgage and pay down principal at some point down the road when your situation is better, where when your rents are up or when you have additional income that can support a higher payment. The same idea is achievable by switching the mortgage to a lender that offers a 40-year amortization. And yes, 
they do exist. There are lenders that offer a 40-year amortization, but they will charge higher interest rates. And as a result of the extended amortization, your monthly payment will still be less. Now, I do not suggest these strategies unless there are no other solutions to dealing with the cash flow pressures because while your payment every month is lower your cost of borrowing is going to be higher as a result of taking on a higher interest rate or an extended amortization having said that we can always revisit where you are with your budget your your finances at some point down the road and help you restructure again. But at least for now, it will help you right the way. Another solution to consider is to clear capacity somewhere else in your balance sheet uh, where we can absorb the increase in monthly mortgage payments. So let's say you have an RSP or a car loan that is costing you every month out of your own pocket, $1,200. And let's say you have multiple rentals and some of them are in a negative cash flow position right now and they're costing you $600 a month to carry. If you can find solutions through adding rental income to the property to uh, help the numbers, great. But if you can't and you want to keep this property, what we can do is we can extract equity from any property, okay, to pay off the car loan or the RSP loan or both or some other expensive debt on your balance sheet so that your monthly payments on these loans are reduced dramatically from the $1,200 per month to something much smaller. And this will ease up some of that cash flow pressure on your rental portfolio. If you are experiencing pressure on your cash flow right now and you would like to explore options to ease up that pressure, reach out to myself and my team at info at streetwisemortgages.com and we would be happy to guide you and help you ride this way. I will leave you with this quote from Max McCowan, which says, all failure is failure to adapt. All success is successful adaptation. Myself and my team are here to help you adapt to this new environment that you're in and help you prosper. Awesome, Dahlia. Thank you so much. And guys, reach out to Streetwise Mortgages. They helped me a ton. They were instrumental in having me be able to leave my nine to five. On that note, if you are interested, we are hosting another Have Your Cake and Eat It Too retreat at the resort. That is going to be the 15th to the 17th of August of 2023. There's going to be 40 spots and it's going to be booked, I'm sure, pretty quickly since this year's success was huge and likely many of the guests that came are coming back. So if you are interested, send me an email on that, sarah at sarahlarby.com and I can send you more details. If you are not on my email list, join my email list, go to my website, sign up, and then you can get all of the latest information. Also, our team is growing, and if you are interested in helping with some admin tasks, assistant tasks, uh, running some of the businesses alongside our team, reach out. My email, again, is sarah at sarahlarby.com. On that note, enjoy the show. Peter, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, ladies. 
Absolutely. I'm really excited to have you on the show. We're going to talk about something completely different today, but before we do and, and reveal what that is, maybe just give us a little bit of, of insight on who you are and how you got started in real estate investing. Yeah. So simply put, I'm obviously British, lived in the States most of my life, but generally I was on Wall Street for 18 years, went to Silicon Valley for eight years, went through a full VC funding cycle. And then at the end of that, sold my company and then went on this arduous eight-year journey of trying to work out how to keep and retain my money. And real estate is the mechanism. So, Very cool. Can you share a little bit like what your portfolio consists of today? Yeah, I kind of always talk about asset allocation strategy. It's key that we all have one. And so I put between 10 and 30% of my assets in the stock market, like everybody else probably. I'm actually down to 8% at this stage based upon where the markets are at. And then I have around, on average, it's, it's tough, but kind of like 40 to 60% in North American real estate, mostly in big US cities, multifamily apartment buildings. Then I have around 20 to 25% in agriculture. And I have a bit of a money on the edges for play money. So a bit of blockchain, crypto, asymmetric trades. I do a few hedge funds. So that's the kind of like the big picture. Stock market for liquidity, foundational North American real estate, a bit of agriculture uncorrelated and then a bit of play money. I mean, it is important to be diversified and have different allocations, especially in times of, of uncertainty, right? And so what can you give somebody that's listening to this and says, oh, I'm 99% in real estate investing in, in Canadian assets, real estate assets? Well, I, I think if you're doing it well, your market cycles, because there's no frustration People like read the big headlines. US or Canadian real estate is up by X percent. It's rubbish. There is no quote US real estate or Canadian real estate. In reality, every market is local and every block and building is local within that local area. So I think from my perspective, well, you're very data driven. There's a spreadsheet. Here's the data. Here's where the market cycle is. I know when to get in, when to get out, when to buy when to sell. So I think from that perspective, know your data and know when and where you should be playing in Canadian real estate. I really focus on people who have done that, are doing it well, and are now looking for that next piece of their assets that are really uncorrelated to that working strategy. Mm -hmm. And you are sort of dwindled down to the agricultural stage, like that's where you're at now based on all the steps you took. Could you talk a little bit about how I could look at that, that market and understand a couple of things you went over in that perspective and how I could judge to go in, when to come out and how to evaluate my investment? Yeah. So, I mean, similarly in the same way that you have different real estate markets, you have different crops, different countries, different climates. There's a whole bunch of set of data that you'd look in. So I make a parallel for you, US or Canadian real estate are going to, I look at job growth population growth. I look at amenities, jobs within a certain drivability to major metros, lowering crime rates. You have all these characteristics around, you need to understand it before you invest in a certain property. In agriculture, I have a similar due diligence grid. And so it's actually the crop. That's the most important thing. What are you into agriculture wise? Because there's row crops and permanent crops. Row crops is low barrier to entry. It's all the soy, the wheat, all the stuff across the plains of the U.S. Permanent crops are things like coconuts, avocados, citrus, limes and lemons. And you basically plant a tree, wait five years, but then it produces that, those crops for the next 
20, 50, 60 years, depending on the crop type. So there's the t- crop type, there's how long you can transport those crops. There is the countries they grow in, the climate, the weather pattern, how much rainfall they have, whether they have great soils, whether the, the land is a reasonable price, whether the labor is a reasonable price. So, so I have a whole characteristic mix matrix, actually, of how to invest in agriculture. And, and I will provide that to your listeners at the end in the show notes. I'm all about paying it forward because I went on this like rough three to four year journey investing in agriculture. And I lost a bunch of money because I didn't know what I was doing. And I think at this stage, I now understand agriculture. I've kind of, I've worked out the path the same way I did for US and North American real estate. And so I'd, I'd rather people have that are armed with it and look at that due diligence matrix like the would for any other investment asset class. Yeah, I mean, it, it is important to look at the market fundamentals, right? And so like even just go, going back to regular real estate, whether it's single family, multifamily, there's things that you look for, like you were talking about the job growth and population increasing or many different things. And land has a whole different set of those fundamentals, which I think are, are really important. So maybe walk us through, or if you wouldn't mind sharing, because many people are listening to this and maybe they're well-versed in investing in regular real estate, but when it comes to farmland, they don't even know necessarily where to start. So I don't know if you can take it a step back and say, okay, when you, you locate a piece of land, a, how do you even find a piece of land? Probably we should talk about that first. And then B, when you find it, what are some of the things that you do look for to say, is this viable? Is this a good deal? Pass? Well, so firstly, I'm a passive agricultural investor, like I am with my multifamily syndications. And I think that's the reality of it. I love a lot of people who come to me and say, well, can I start my own farm? The answer is probably yes, but you're probably going to make a ton of mistakes. And it depends where you are. Because in the same way that I, it's all, so let me kind of like backtrack a bit. I never intended to be a farmer. I just wanted to have an asset class that is uncorrelated. So I went out looking for people who were offering, let's call it private equity syndications originally. Similar vein, I could be a passive investor in a big farm and have a small part of that. And I got into trouble because I trusted a bunch of glossy marketing brochures like everybody else, not really know much about the asset class. And it wasn't until I went through the elongated journey of seeing all types of investment vehicle they ended up actually entitled farmland real estate run by a third party management company. And so right now I will buy a lot of land with 220 TT lime trees. Instead of a property manager, I had my rental property. I have a farm manager who's tend to that crop at scale with a bunch of other landowners. So, so I think to kind of explain my journey, I realized that to control your assets, you need to have title, and then you need to have a really solid farm management team who can tend to that land and knows how to sell your produce. Other than that, it's a very difficult space to get in because, I mean, I'd say 95% of agriculture is owned by large private families, landowners, or they're owned by large, you know, private companies. And it's very difficult to get into the asset class in general. So uh, yeah, that was my kind of my journey, actually. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. This week's podcast is brought to you by uspproperties.ca. Are you looking to invest in turnkey U.S. real estate that provides exceptional cash flow and appreciation? If so, reach out to James at james at uspproperties.ca or visit the company website usproperties.ca for more information. And now back to the show. 
And so as an, as an investor, if I'm looking into exploring the land market, the farmland market with you, what does that look like? What kind of partnership could I create with you? What would I need to get started to invest in farms? And what kind of questions would you recommend I should ask myself before even coming to you to say, I'd like to get involved in a project like this based on your learnings? Yeah, so, so I think, so I'm, I'm from a company called Farmfolio. And actually, I joined Farmfolio less than a year ago after investing in every one of their farmland deals. And I joined because I saw that they, they know how to structure this and they were consistent in being able to actually produce the income that I was looking for from a passive perspective. So I joined the company personally because I believe in agriculture as an asset class. I think it's been very hard for people like you and me to get into it. And I just wanted to join that company and, and actually help them expand and, and make it easier for people like you and me to actually own agriculture in our portfolio. So from a Farmfolio perspective, if you come to Farmfolio, what we've done is we have actually gone to countries. So we're predominantly in Colombia right now in South America because the land is reasonably priced. The labor is very affordable compared to North America. And more importantly, it's some of the best agricultural farmland on the planet. They've got incredible rainfall, incredible sunshine, soil. They've got multi-generational farming families who know how to farm crops. And so they have just this like characteristic of factors in their farmland capabilities that most North American people can't get. Land in North America is expensive. Labor is very expensive. You go to a place like California. I mean, California produces what? 45, 50% of the fruit in the US today. And there is no rainfall. So it's... You've got to go to the places on the planet where the right fundamentals are there for farming. More importantly, what Farmfolio has done is they've actually gone and created pack houses and sales and distribution of the fruit. So when you buy a lot of land from Farmfolio, you control the land title, but you actually have an offtake agreement and your fruit is harvested by a third party farm manager. It's then washed, packed, sorted exported overseas, mostly into either Philadelphia, the ports of Philadelphia and driven on trucks up the East Coast. And it's sold in Walmart, Costco, Trader Joe's, even Costco in Canada. We actually send a lot of our limes and citrus fruits. So yeah, the goal here is that when you buy a piece of land, your produce is already being sold in the North American retail markets so that you can actually see that income on a regular basis. Can I, can I ask what your role in the business is? I mean, you're, you're speaking, you've got lots of knowledge, which is wonderful, and I'm trying to put the pieces together. Are you the one that essentially offers the opportunity to Canadians and, and Americans and then piece, puts the pieces together type I, of thing? Or? I am now. So I'm on the sales and marketing front end of this company. And so, I mean, I, I started buying Farmfolio products in 2015, 2016. And that's where a lot of my actual asset allocations come from. And I joined full-time because it's, it's a simple model. The thing about agriculture is even if you can find a company who claims to be able to give you access to the actual asset class, oftentimes I call it hope ag investing. Some people will go to a cheap country with this cheap land and like you say, I'm going to like plant, I don't know, avocado trees. And you wait five years and you're hoping, it's like hope ag investing because you're hoping at the end of the five years, not only have they be able to actually produce the produce, but they know how to sell it. And often that's where people fall on their face. So I think from my perspective, Farmfolio already created the sales and distribution, the front end of that supply chain before you buy the land. And that's what takes the risk out of farm development and mm -hmm. agricultural development.
So you mentioned, so you mentioned risk though. Let, let's talk about it. Cause not every, every single in real estate or, or non-real estate or investment has its pros and cons. And I think it's important to, to be as transparent with the, with the listeners as, as much as possible with the good and then the bad. So let, let's talk about maybe some downsides. And then after that, if you could share like what, like when you're saying pricing and it's super expensive yeah. in California, like I have no idea what the prices are in, in Colombia. So like, let's, let's talk about that. But beforehand, I, I do want to cover the downsides or the, the, the cons or the risks or however you want to call those. Yeah. So obviously I'm going to give this uh, due diligence matrix that'll list all the characteristics, 10 of them, uh, which you should look at. And so it's the crop type and whether people are, it's in demand or not. Avocado, no-brainer. Lime, no-brainer. Coconut, no-brainer. We stick to these perennial crops that really are in demand forever as us, as consumers. Then there's the ability to farm it, diseases, pests, um, whether you can transport it easy, you know? Because you can, coconut, you can like transport for three, six, nine months. With organic blueberries, how long do you have to get those to the shelf? You know, so there's different characteristics around logistics you need to worry about. Um, where they're being grown, the country matters because you need to have foreign ownership property rights if you own the land. You need to have a decent legal and banking structure in those countries. You need to have just an economic freedom index, I call it. So are they good countries that you should deal with in the first place and own land in those locations? And then you go down to the due diligence around the actual farm management team. Have they done this before? What's their track record? Do they know how to farm? Oh, by the way, do they know how to sell the fruit? Do they know how to actually pack, transport, ship the fruit? And then there's just a whole other aspect around all those categories to make sure it all comes together in the actual farmland okay. ownership opportunity. So Peter, those are good fundamentals. I agree. But yeah, yeah. what are the actual downsides? So if you say yes, 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 these check the box, these are good. What are the, what, like, what is the downside? Is it, you could, it's, there's got to be some type of risk to it. If even if you checked all of these things, you've got avocados, you've got all that good stuff. Sure. But, but if you could share that, that'd be great. Well, so the way to think about this is climate. So let's take the climate rainfall and sunshine. Let's take a simple fruit because every single crop is a sub asset class in its own right. So let's take citrus fruits and weather related risks. You need to make sure that you have your citrus fruit, in a place whereby there's plenty of rainfall. So you're going to put nutrition on the trees. When the sun comes out, it grows the fruit. The sun comes down into that fruit, makes it the emerald green that we all expect in the supermarket. So you need that combination of rainfall to make the fruit grow and sunshine to make it green in simple terms. So don't buy citrus fruit crops in places where there's not plenty of sunshine and rainfall. I mean, that's the kind of the you're asking for the risks, we'll make sure you don't have those characteristics covered when you buy that farmland in the first place, if okay. that gives a kind of parallel. Yeah, no, for sure. So, so let's talk about the numbers now. So like, I'm, I'm interested in investing, how much do I need to do? What do I need to do? What does that look like? Yeah, so our farmland lots we offer are between 30,000 and 65,000, depending on the age of the tree and the crop. Obviously, the age of the tree depends on the harvest. Therefore, it depends on the net operating income. The older they are, the more income you get. The earlier they are, you have this appreciation curve as they go from a year three for the first harvest to year eight for the maximum production. So it's a combination of 30 to 65K. And then returns, I mean, never, no one guarantees returns. Don't accept that. But if you look at the data, when you look at our farmland lots, it equates to something like a single family home. 
So in the same way that you'd look at the cost of the home, look at the rents in that region, you look at the insurance, the taxes, we have a similar thing around how much it costs for the land, how much it costs from an expense standpoint to farm, and how much more importantly the produce sells for. And those characteristics could put you in that similar range as a single family rental from an income perspective or expectation. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey, are you looking for a reliable contractor for your next Burr multifamily conversion or flip project? Somebody who understands how to work with investors and also real estate investing itself. I've personally partnered with Lee Polak from Wise Construction. We're actively doing many projects together in Hamilton and Wellen. So things like smaller three and four unit conversions and also some larger buildings where we're converting some large empty commercial spaces into residential units. And it's always been important to meet a partner and hire a contractor who does not only high quality work, but is on time and on budget. And it's also a huge bonus that they have their own in-house trades, employees and a warehouse full of building materials so that they can avoid the many labor and material shortages that we hear about often these days. A good project done on time, on budget and with high quality work will be key to the success of your Burr multifamily conversion or flip projects. So to connect with Lee from Wise Construction, text or phone him at 416-525-5951. Again, that is 416-525-5951. And now back to the show. And now back to the show. Okay. All right. Awesome. So, so this is like 30 to 65K American, I'm guessing. Yep. And then- is that the same Canadian nowadays or is it veered away? That parity of a few years back. No, unfortunately, we're not there. It's not like 2000. I think it was 2010 or 2009. Was it? <laughs> not, not so much anymore. So, okay. So, like, let's just say, and I know we can't ever guarantee stuff. I'm just trying to wrap my mind around it because this is still very new. So, you're you're putting in 30 to 60 grand. Like, are are you getting a monthly payout? Or are you having to wait for a certain amount of years? Like, help me understand how that all works. Yeah. So, most of our farmland lots, you'll end up you'll get yearly payouts. Because obviously the whole key to agriculture is, is it has a produce or harvest cycle throughout the year. And you essentially want to take all the harvest for the year, minus the expenses, and then we give a net income or harvest income payment at the end of that calendar year, each and every year. And so from an expectation from a long-term standpoint, if your tree's already in the production cycle, then you get harvest income at the end of year one. If it's a lime tree, it normally has a 20 to 24 year cycle. If it's a coconut tree, it can be 50 to 60 years. So I think the key is to look for those crops that are perennial, producing every year for 20 to 60 years. And then, uh, yeah, that's the, that's the goal here, really, from your portfolio perspective. And, and, and the key is it's inflation-proof because as the line prices go up in the stores, you're also getting more income for those lines being grown. So that's why I, I kind of have this partly in my portfolio because it's inflation proof. Property markets can go up and down wherever you are investing. Stock markets can cycle seven to 12 years and crash. At the end of the day, people are still going to buy food. So if you get the right crop, coconut, limes, avocados, there's always demand 12 months a year by us North American consumers in those retail supermarkets. And that's the key to this thing from my perspective. It's that consistent demand, no matter what's happening for the rest of my asset allocation, my portfolio over a multi-decade period. And if I wanted to purchase the farmland, would I have a choice in what produce I wanted to purchase and what age 
trees I wanted to invest in? And is there a plan where I could purchase a piece of farmland in increments and say, okay, like over the next, is there some sort of system where I could pay in increments or would it have to be like fully flat up depending on what was available and I would pay in a lump sum? How, what would be my options for that? Yeah, so you normally purchase it up front. It's in cash. There's no leverage in overseas real estate necessarily. We are looking at financing options in the future. We don't have any right now, but you would pay in cash up front $30,000 to $65,000. And then based upon that tree age, your harvest income would start lower. And then as the, as the maximum production of the fruit, you get to that maximum harvest income amount. So. And do I always, when I first purchase, I always get a fresh tree. So I, like, can you purchase at an older cycle or when you purchase, that's when that tree get started and then when they start to produce that's when you start to see your ROI and as they age that will also increase so I always start at the beginning of the tree cycle with the tree yeah it's best off to get in that first three to five year period because then you're buying it for growth you know because what you see therefore is it's cheaper because they're producing less harvest less income early on and you're really getting that through a massive appreciation curve in those first three to five years so that's what we do from our perspective is we buy young farms we break them up, we offer them out as individual lots with, for instance, 220 TT lime trees, and that harvest will double and triple over the next two or three years, and then get you to that income, passive income number you're looking for. What is the, what is the passive income on this? So like, so, so like you're buying something for 65 grand, like, are you getting 10 grand a year? Are you getting 20 grand a year? Like, what is like, obviously, like, what's average? So when people look at single family rentals, I mean, you're trying to get to what, an 8% cap rate. Obviously, it's gone down the past few years. We're now down to 7 or 6, 12, 13% with leverage. So you're looking in the, you're aiming for an 8 to 10 to 12%, just like you would a single family home. And that all depends on the crop type, the age of the tree, how many tree density there is, and really where the fruit's being sold. So in the same way you'd look at a single family rental, Mm -hmm. The location of the property, the cost of the property, the amount of taxes, the amount of insurance, all that kind of stuff, the management fees. You look at a similar set of characteristics for a, a lime, lime lot or a coconut lot. So when I look at single families, I look at the cash flow. So your 8 to 10% is based on the cash flow that, based on the what you're paying, right? So yeah. cash on cash. But I also look at the mortgage pay down, which is about 5 to 6% leveraged on 20% yeah. down. And then I also look at appreciation year over year. And not always, and I know this is the icing on the cake, but in parts of Canada, predominantly in Ontario, we've seen that quite high. So if I were to look at options and like, this is a, a good discussion. I do agree that you have to be not fully invested in hundred percent in the same thing. So I agree with you there. But then I also look at, could I loan out my money? If I had a hundred grand, am I better off to loan it out to somebody at 15%? as a promissory note that I know that's local, that I can kind of feel and, and see the deal? Or do I risk it with, you know, an eight to 10% return, which again, I think from a diversification standpoint is good. But when I look at what happened in some parts of Ontario, for example, in the last 10 years, I think any day I'd still be better in real estate here. However, I think the land is, is good. And I think it, it could be land in Colombia, but I think it can still be land in parts of Canada and what can you do here? So I think somebody that's listening to this, again, you can diversify, you can diversify out of the country, but you can also diversify still a little bit closer. But so here's my question then to you is, is you're giving us a eight to 
return on cash or cash on cash. What does it look like from an appreciation standpoint? Like, do, do people participate in the equity? Yeah, so you should think about this in the same way you'd look at it as a single family rental. I mean, as the income goes up, so so let's take let's take a, a single family rental with value add. You get a, a rubbish house in a great neighborhood and you then rehab it, yeah? And you're taking the rent from X to Y. In the same way, you're taking a tree from three years of production to eight years of production. So that's the value add component. Now, you get an appreciation on the lot overall. Um, so it's the same concept. So I agree. I mean, risk is in the uh, eye of the beholder. Everybody has a different risk profile. And mm-hmm. if you can get 15% from a local promissory note, then great. Make sure you really understand the risks behind that. Of course. Uh, yeah. but, but this, this, I think, when we think about our own portfolios, you know, I'm not a big, I don't like partake in doomsday mongering, but you can't ignore 30 trillion in debt in the US. And so why would I put my whole wealth in one currency, in one country? So if you're Canadian, do you want to put all your wealth in one currency in one country? Or do you want to take a portion of that and put into a very different asset class overseas, outside that currency, outside that country, in an asset class that is not correlated with what you already own? That is my pitch for why I do it and why my mm-hmm. friends and family do the same. Yeah, no, for sure. And it is a great point. And I think different currencies, different countries is going to be critical because then everything has a cycle and at least you find enough that don't overlap in the same exact cycles. Find something that is not necessarily tied only to real estate or not necessarily only tied to the way that the stock market's going or whatnot. So I, I think that's that's really insightful. And, and ultimately, I, I think farmland could be how there's like so many real estate investing strategies where you got the rent to own, the burr, the, the student rentals. I think it sounds like farmland could be done, sliced and diced in, in many different ways as well. And it looks like this is essentially a bit of like a, maybe a, a syndication for farmland to be able to, to have somebody feed on the street in a different country that knows what they're doing with a team. And then you're kind of investing your, your cash for a specific return. Yeah. So not really because in reality, you don't control a syndication because I'm doing this for longevity. You are own titles of land. You're entitled to 220 land trees. You decide how long you keep the income for. Cool. Also, the other thing, when I went to all my Silicon Valley friends, I first saw my company and said, okay, how do you take that money and keep the money and grow it? And said, basically, listen, we made our money in private or public company stock. Then we put into real estate to retain and grow that money. And two of the people then said to me, honestly, when you look at very high net worth individuals, they have between 14 to 22% of their assets in agriculture or forestry products. And that's because it's intergenerational wealth passing. Because in this case, you can buy a syndication, but then the provider sells out of it five to seven years or 10 years from now based on market cycle. In this case, you own the land, you entitled the land. I intend to keep the cash yield for myself until I pass. And then 20, 30 years from now, that coconut harvest will go to my daughter's. And that's the other way to think about this is it's, it's an asset class, which is there for intergenerational wealth passing, which you can f- control, uh, you know, beyond your lifetime. And if, if, what would be a good exit strategy if I, if I needed to leave and not, not, and I'm not able to keep it? Um, yeah. So the same way that you buy the lot from us, we also can sell the lot to a similar group of people. And so what we're actually seeing is right now, everybody's buying the lots because it's going to be the appreciation curve. 
no one wants to sell. Uh, but I would imagine like two or three years from now when it's getting to maximum harvest, people will say, yes, I've now got an appreciated piece of land. Those trees are producing so much more cash. And at that point, people will then buy that cash flow stream just in the same way they would buy a single family rental with a solid rental income. Awesome. Really, really insightful, Peter. I mean, it's, it is a really cool business concept. I mean, it's a, a nice opportunity for people to just be able to see what else there are out there in terms of opportunities and, and options to, to allocate assets accordingly so you don't have everything in the same basket. The next part of the podcast is lightning round. So we're going to ask you five total questions. Everybody gets the same ones and you're going to give us the first answer that comes to mind. Are you ready? Yep. Go ahead. Today's lightning round has been brought to you by midtermrentalproperties.ca. It is a new way to rent, make more cash flow, take back control over our investments and our portfolios using a different creative strategy and pivoting. So if you want to find out more, go to midtermrentalproperties.ca. All right, here we go. Question number one, what is your favorite real estate investing book? Gosh, there's so many. Honestly, off the top of my head, I couldn't tell you. I've read so many. I mean, it's, yeah, I'm, I'm a blank on that one. So here's, here's a question. Is there a good book about farmland that somebody can pick up and read anything about farmland and investing that you, that you know of that you can recommend? Um, No, there is not. But I tell you, let's, let's backtrack. I'll give you a data source for real estate investing. Maybe that's a better one. I mean, I'll do similar in farmland. So city data is the best real estate data source for all of your, let's call it US real estate investing. And then similarly, I live my life by time and date data, timeanddate.com, because it gives incredible rainfall, temperature, all kind of like sunshine metrics around agricultural farmland locations. So it's amazing. There is no book in, around farmland investing anywhere. It's incredible. It's an asset class that's been ignored, kept in the hands of a few private wealthy people. And so, yeah, most of it's public sources on the internet that you have to rely upon. Hey, great. Well, at least you can know your next project might be to write that book yourself. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> well, question number two, lightning round is, what is your favorite podcast? It doesn't have to be real estate related. What podcast would you say is your favorite? Cool, oh, blimey. <laughs> so I, I've recently enjoyed Roofstock because they're actually a real estate company in the US and they've got an incredible podcast, which they now produce, which talks about all aspects of real estate. So there are, there are hundreds of these things, including yours. I've enjoyed a lot of theirs because they are very key on real estate, but then peripheral topics around it and different asset classes that you can look at. So. Okay, great. Great suggestion. Number three, Peter, what do you do for fun aside from anything real estate related? I, I travel all the time. I love travel and partly I'm in overseas real estate investments because it allows me to travel and visit my investments. So for anybody with a travel bug, come down to Columbia, own some real estate, charge your flight expenses against your due diligence. And uh, yeah, so I'm always on the road, Europe, South America, anywhere I can go all the time. Well, great. At least you're keeping warm in this time of the year, I hope. <laughs> and question number four, if you lost everything, how would you start over? I would start over in multifamily real estate and ag. They have been, I've realized now in life, we always need food and shelter. And so I think multifamily real estate has been a 
solid wealth builder for me and agriculture has been similar. I think it's because Maslow's hierarchy of needs, food and shelter at the bottom and security. You can do some security products maybe. That is where I'd invest and, and they've, been, they've been a mainstay throughout the pandemic, which says a lot given what's been happening in the past few years. Absolutely. All right. And final question. If somebody has $50,000 and they want to get started, how would you recommend that they actually spend their 50 grand? I would find an amazing multifamily syndication provider in a top US market, or I would come to Farmfolio and buy a lime lot. Amazing. Peter, that was the lightning round. Thank you for playing. Where can my listeners reach out and find out more? Yep, you can reach me. My email address is peter at farmfolio.net. Our website is farmfolio.net. And we hope that you will come to us and learn how to make a portion of your portfolio a farmfolio. Amazing. That was great. Thank you, Peter, for joining us. And thank you for all the information. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hey, guys, before you go, I wanted to ask you a question. What's stopping you from starting or growing your own real estate investment portfolio? I know for me, before I started, I had plenty of reasons. And at the time, they all seemed very valid. But as I started my journey, these reasons slowly fell away. And eventually, only one reason remained. What was actually stopping me was having a proven, actionable, repeatable system. I didn't have that. And the way that was going to change was by investing in myself, learning, listening, and looking for ways that worked. And also, most importantly, discovering what didn't and not making those mistakes again. Fast forward to today, I now have a proven, repeatable series of action steps that has enabled me to build my seven-figure portfolio consisting of multiple homes, and I'm able to manage that in two to three hours a month. Is that something that you would want? Well, I've actually taken all the knowledge I've accumulated and put that into a comprehensive step-by-step online program. It's called Rise, and it's a program that will help you from where you are now to where you want to be faster and with less of the headaches that I had. So it consists of all the templates and the resources that I use, plus over 40 instructional videos that you get lifetime access to for just a small one-time investment. And, you know, my recommendation is to make the time now to invest in yourself and grow your portfolio to seven figures so that you can bring your retirement dreams closer. If you want some more information about Rise, just go to sarahlarby.com forward slash R-I-S-E to access more details and book your spot. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.